just encourage you, if you have your Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 28, uh, starting in verse um, 18 is where we'll kind of start. Now, have you ever noticed that there are some things that feel wrong to us, even though they don't necessarily, uh, not that they're necessarily wrong, they just feel wrong to us? And so maybe it's like eating the last or drinking the last of something, like the last piece of pie or, or something. It just, it sometimes feels wrong to be the one to take it. Um, somebody's got to eat it, but it just feels wrong to us to do that. For me, one of these things would be um, recycling birthday cards. Like, it, it just feels wrong to, to take and just throw that into the blue bin because somebody took time to select the card and to, to write a message in it, but you're just like, what do I do with it? You can't hold on to it forever, but just, it just feels so wrong to get rid of it to me. Um, this one is, is probably one of my biggest ones, is leaving a store empty-handed. And, and so you go into the store, you're looking for whatever it is, and they might not happen to have it. And, and you, you just kind of walk past the cash register and out the door, and it, it feels wrong. Like, you might go, like, do people think I'm stealing something? And you're just kind of going, like, you, you just didn't have what I had uh, or I needed. Uh, I'm innocent. But it, it, it can feel wrong. And so some things uh, feel wrong to us, even though there's nothing that says that they are. Now, in Matthew chapter 28, which is kind of what we're looking at in this series, Jesus, he commands his disciples to go and make disciples. He goes, go out and evangelize. Share your faith with others in hopes that they will share your beliefs one day. Now, here's my question to you. Has that ever felt wrong to you? There was an, uh, a, a 2019 Barna Research Group study that found that um, nearly half of practicing Christian millennials felt that evangelism was wrong. So 47% of practicing Christian millennials polled agreed at least somewhat that it is wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in hopes that they will one day share that faith. Now, this, this is kind of surprising because, like, that, that number's very high, but at the same time, it might not be so surprising to some of us because maybe we've, we've felt it at times. Um, we, we've thought about sharing our faith with somebody, and we've gone, should I? Like, do, do I have the right to do that? And we look at their life, and we go, their life seems pretty good. They seem to be happy. Do I have the right to kind of speak into it that way? If I do so, is it going to get awkward and weird between us? So, so should I, I do that? Now, sharing your faith is, is something that's um, a practice amongst many religions. It's not just Christianity. However, today, we find that our society tends to cast a negative light on sharing your faith with other people. And, and as we saw, like 57 or 50%, nearly 50% of millennials are going, yeah, I don't know if it's right for us to do this. So the question I'm asking is like, should we do it? What actually gives us the right to speak into somebody's life, to share our faith with them? Or is it, is it wrong? Like culture kind of says it is. Now, in John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus tells us that evangelism is of the utmost importance, where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so, like, to paraphrase Jesus, what, what he's saying here is this. The only way that somebody's going to ever inherit eternal life, the only way somebody's ever going to enter into the kingdom of heaven is by becoming his disciple, by accepting him as Lord and Savior. He's, he's claiming exclusivity 
as the way of salvation. And, and some people today will go like, Jesus, he gets along with other gods and other religions. He's cool if you hear that. Just be sincere to them. But here you look at this verse and Jesus does not play nice with other religions or with other gods. And so part of the problem that a lot of people will have with Christianity today is its claims of exclusivity as, as the only way of salvation. Now, an unwritten um, rule uh, of our culture is this. Like, be careful how you talk about religion. They might even say, like, just don't talk about religion with other people. Uh, the first day of school this year, our, our son Seth, going to a new school, first time going on a school bus. And so I walked him up to the bus stop, wanted to make sure he got on the right bus so they got to the right school. And uh, there was another father there who lives on the street doing the same thing. And, and they were fairly new to the neighborhood as well. And uh, so we kind of strike up a conversation because we're the two old guys at the bus stop. And, and we're talking and we're getting along great. Um, uh, quite a few things uh, similar. But then he asked that question that I, I, I've said before. It's like, it's, it's one of my least favorite questions early on getting to know somebody. It's like, what do you do? Because I say... I'm a pastor at Halifax Christian Church, and often that's where it gets awkward. Um, people just don't want to engage with the guy whose job is, is, is all about Jesus. And I could tell, like, that guy was like, oh, look at the time. This bus is running late. He wants the bus to come so he can get away from me before I might start talking to him about Jesus or, or inviting him to church. Now, we Westerners are very careful about imposing our beliefs on other people. And we've built these philosophies kind of around these phrases like, uh, true for you, but not for me. Or something like, everything is true, or kind of the latest rendition in our time is this, live your truth. And so what it's kind of saying is like, if everybody just kind of holds to what they believe and we allow people to do that, and it's, it's going to usher in this uh, age of utopian bliss, everything will be great. And it sounds like it might until you actually start trying to live it out. Because your friend might tell you, you know what, live your truth when it comes to something minor that you guys disagree on that doesn't really bother them. So it's like, you like that hairstyle? Live your truth. You think that ice cream is better than yogurt? Live your truth. You, you, you would rather drive an electric vehicle over a, a gasoline vehicle? Live your truth. And it's like, that's okay. But then in the next breath, they might tell you that your pro-life stance is morally harmful to women. And, and so here's, here's what you find. Your truth is only true to the degree that it doesn't offend them. What, what you'll find is that, that there are actually truths that they don't think should be lived out. And so kind of that idea, live your truth, it, it doesn't actually hold up. Nobody actually wants to live by that because they'll find that other people's truths start to offend them. And it gets to this question, like whose truth is is right. When, when they oppose, like, who gets to decide what is good and proper when these truths are butting heads? But we're going, everybody's truth is equally true, and you're, you're both human, so it's not like you can go, like, I'm above you in any way. And so what happens is it's like, it's the louder person. It's the stronger person whose truth kind of starts to prevail within the culture. And when you live in a culture where you start to get rid of objective truth, the question is like, when everybody's free to define what is true and good and right for themselves, where will you end up? And I promise you, it's like, it's not anywhere good. 
Now, the popular perception in our culture is that if you are a dogmatic person, that if you hold to religious principles, that you're actually dangerous. And here's why. Because it is, it's believed that people who believe in absolute truths are going to inevitably want to um, lord those truths or those beliefs over other people, resulting in control and oppression. And so, as I said, many people see the exclusive claims of Christianity as, as a power grab, as, as a way of kind of asserting control over everybody else. And so what people will do, um, instead of saying that everything is true, they will try and disarm truth claims by saying something like this. There is no truth. And people go, oh, wow, that's deep. That's so profound. But again, you kind of get into issues. Like, think about this. The idea that there is no truth is a truth claim itself. When when people go, like, here's what they're essentially saying is like, trust us when we tell you that there is no truth. And and like, what do you do with that? Like, if I trust you, I'm kind of uh, ignoring what you just told me to do. Like, what, what do you do with a concept like that? And, and ultimately denying um, truth claims by saying that they are power grabs, that itself is a power grab. That view is trying to exert control over every other uh, view by saying it alone knows what is true. So it's not actually um, getting itself out of the problem that it's trying to get around. Now here's the thing. If there is no absolute truth, on what basis can those who are weak say to those who are strong, that what they are doing is wrong. And you, you can't actually say that because what, what you might deem to be wrong, so something like racism or genocide, um, that person and their truth, they might say, oh, it's, it's, it's a good thing. It, it's okay. And regardless of how uh, obviously abhorrent it is to you, um, they're going, that's, that's my truth. And, and what do you do? And so again, it's the stronger group whose truth is going to prevail. And so we need objective truth and we need somebody in authority above us all to tell us what is true or life is going to devolve into chaos. Like you don't just drop your kids off at a kindergarten and like there's no uh, adult supervision there because you know what's going to happen. It's going to turn into the Lord of the Flies. Like it's going to be chaos. You need authority and you need power and rules there. And the same would be for us if we try and live that way. Now, this has been the longest Christmas break ever. Um, I I know it's like only a month, but it feels like two months uh, at this point. And our kids have seen a lot of each other uh, over this time. And an often repeated phrase in our home has been this, you're not the parent. Now, um, it's not actually Shannon or I saying that so much. It's the four-year-old saying it to the 10-year-old and vice versa. When one of them tries to tell them what to do, the other goes, you're not the parent. Essentially what they're saying is, you don't have any authority here. Like you don't get to tell me what to do. Only mom and dad get to do that. You, you have no power here. And so back, back to this question that we, we started with, like should we share our faith with others in hopes that they will share our faith? Is it right or is it wrong for us to do this? What gives us the right to share our faith with other people? Ultimately, it comes down to this. Who actually has the authority to tell us what to do? Who has the authority to tell us what is good and right and true? 
Now, if, if you look in your Bible, again, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 is where we're starting. When people talk about the Great Commission, they often start in verse 19, where Jesus says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and so on. And, and they start in verse um, 18, or 19. But, but right before verse 19, Jesus says something bold in verse 18. He makes this bold statement. He says, all authority, consider that word, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Now, that, that's a bold statement, verse 18, to say like all authority. I have all authority. And so our question might be this. is like, where does Jesus get all authority. Well, in John chapter 3, verse 35, Jesus says this, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hands. And so Jesus is saying, the authority that I have has been given to me by God the Father. So if you want to kind of dispute God's decision, here's the issue, that there's not really a higher court above God that you can appeal to. You can't kind of go above God's head, kind of circumvent that and go to the person who's in charge of God. You're, you're not going to find somebody. So kind of God gets to say that. You can't circumvent God's throne to go, I, I, I object to this decision, God. Now here's the question. How much authority does Jesus actually have? Like he's saying he has all authority, but is, is Jesus kind of more of a of a figurehead, like the queen of, of England or, or the commonwealth? Like, here's what I'm saying. If, if the queen issued a, a command, as, as members of the commonwealth, would you feel that like that command is absolutely binding on your life, or would you see it as more of a suggestion? And I'll, I'll just be honest. I'd go, I see it more as a suggestion. Um, just kind of her role these days, the, the, the way in which we live. We live in a, a democracy, not kind of um, uh, under the monarchy. Now, I know there's, there's some royalty lovers out there. If you want to uh, write an email, just address, you offended my, uh, my queen, and I'll just know not to open that email. But, but that's just kind of like the, the way it is. Like some people are more of a figurehead, but they, they have this authority. Or maybe Jesus is kind of making like a boisterous claim like musicians or, or athletes like to do. Like Conor McGregor, that uh, MMA star, like he's always run his mouth. He's kind of going like, I'm the best there ever was. And we go, mm, that's, that's debatable. I, I don't know. It, it, we could dispute that. Now, what, what kind of authority does Jesus have? He, he claims that he has all authority, but then he also claims something else in the Gospels. He claims that he is God. And so here's what it comes down to. Can he actually back these claims up? Saying that he has all authority and saying that he is God. Well, in the Gospels, you see this. Jesus has authority over nature. Uh, you read the story where Jesus and his disciples are out in a boat and the wind and the waves kick up. And, and these, these disciples, many of whom are fishermen, are freaking out. They're going, we're going to drown. Jesus, do something. And Jesus stands up and, and he speaks to the wind and the waves and he says, be still. And they do. Like nature obeys Jesus. Did you go out to the storm on Friday night and go stop? And it was like, okay. Like it, it didn't. We see Jesus has authority over all sickness and disease. 
He heals lepers. He causes those who are paralyzed to walk. He causes the blind to see. He rebukes Peter's mother-in-law's fever, and it leaves immediately. She's uh, healed so well that she can get up and immediately begin serving them. Like, if my kids are sick, I'm like, here's some Tylenol, drink some water, get back in bed, hopefully you feel better. Like, that, that's the best that I can do. Now, what you see is that there's no virus, there's no bacteria, there's no broken chromosome that has more power than Jesus. Like, Jesus, you don't find him encounter disease in the Gospels and go, yeah, this one's tough. I, nothing I can do about that one. That, that one puzzles me. Like, anyone he set out to heal, he could now, Jesus has authority over Satan and every demon. Like when Jesus encounters the demonic in, in, in Scripture, they, they plead with him, do not torture us. Jesus commands demons not to speak, and they obey. Do you have that type of power? Like Jesus has authority over the spiritual realm. Jesus has authority and governance over history. The reality is that there's not been a king, a president, a chief, a leader, a premier, a prime minister, a governor, a mayor, a senator who has not been put into that office unless God through Jesus has put them there. Jesus' authority extends to even death. That Jesus goes into the home of Jairus and his little girl, this 12-year-old girl has, has died. And Jesus says, little girl, wake up. And she gets up. He, he, he brings her back to life. He goes to Lazarus' tomb. Lazarus has been in there for four days. And he says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus obeys. Jesus has authority over death. You see that, that the grave could not hold him. His tomb is empty. And the reality is that Jesus has authority over even your death. So Jesus demonstrates that his authority is not the authorization to potentially rule but that he does in fact rule. Jesus, he claims to be God by what he says. He claims to have authority by what he says, but then he also demonstrates that he is God by what he does. He demonstrates that he does actually have authority, and Jesus does what only God can do. He turns water into wine. He walks on water. He heals the sick. He raises the dead. He feeds the crowds. And Jesus demonstrates that he does in fact have authority over all creation. Now in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and following, Paul writes about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So back to this question, like how much authority is is, is involved or, or is included in all authority in heaven and on earth. Like when we think of Jesus, we, we tend to think of the Jesus you find in children's Bibles. The, the, the humble, poor, homeless carpenter. But if we were to see Jesus today, we would see him reigning in glory over everyone and everything at the Father's right hand as King of kings 
and Lord of Lords. Like if you go to Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 16, listen to how the apostle John describes Jesus there. And you're going, okay, that, that is a guy who is in authority and power. And so Jesus reigns with absolute sovereignty, that there's nothing outside of his jurisdiction. And when all heaven and earth are under his authority, the reality is there's nowhere that we can run to escape his authority. Like, where would you go? Now, here's, here's something I want to deal with. It's, it's a bit of an aside, but I know for some of us, we're going to say, okay, if all, all authority is in Jesus, that he has all this, this power, if he is sovereign, why is there so much evil and suffering in the world? And I mean, that's a, that's a big question, and, and there, there's good answers to it. But here's what I would say, that anything that Jesus allows is for his purposes, and he will overcome them for his purposes. Like, like Tim Keller, he, he puts it this way, if we knew what God knows, we would ask exactly for what he gives or, or what he allows. Charles Spurgeon, he, he would put it this way, like when we cannot trace God's hand, we're looking at what God's doing, we're going, I don't understand. Why are you doing this? Why are you allowing this? He says, we can always trust God's heart because God's heart is good. Now, not everybody's going to recognize Jesus's authority, but it's still there. And Jesus' authority extends to the church and its mission. And so if you are a Christian, I need you to hear me on this. If you are a Christian, if you are a disciple, you have chosen to put yourself under Jesus' authority when you called him Lord and Savior. And with this authority, Jesus commands us to make disciples. He, he says that we are to, to make him known, essentially, that if we know him, we are to make him known. And this is where our, our mission statement comes from, is Matthew chapter 28, verses uh, 18 through 20. And we summarize it by saying this, like, we exist to know Jesus and to make him known. And this idea is, is present throughout Scripture. If you have your Bible, you can turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. There the Apostle Paul writes, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so what gives us the right to share our faith with others? Well, the authority of the church's mission rests on nothing less than the authority that has been delegated to us by the exalted Lord Jesus Christ, who rules over all that, that Jesus can issue this command that extends to all of humanity. Everybody is covered in that, that command to make disciples because he alone has authority over all humanity. And so there's not one inch of creation, one culture of, or subculture of people, not one lifestyle, not one religion, not one uh, philosophical system, not one person over which Jesus' throne does not rule. And so Paul is going like we've been authorized as ambassadors to offer forgiveness of sins to all people on Jesus's behalf. Now, over over the Christmas break, I began watching some of the old James Bond movies, just looking for something uh, to watch. And uh, I'm not endorsing all of them, but I, I, I enjoy them. Now, my wife, Shannon, she made this good point. Um, over Christmas, she was watching these cheesy Hallmark Christmas movies, and I go, these are lame. They're, they're all the same. It's the same plot line every time. 
But then she said to me, you realize that all these James Bond films are all the same. They're, they're predictable. And I thought about it and it was like, yeah, you're actually right. Because in this movie, what happens is like, there's a problem because of a bad guy and, and the problem gets worse and James Bond gets involved and He's, he's doing his things, but then eventually he's going to get captured by the bad guy, and we're going to go, uh-oh, it's over for James Bond. But at the last minute, he escapes. He defeats the bad guy. The, 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 um, the problem is solved, and usually he ends up with girl number three. It's like the, the same thing in most James Bond movies. Now, part of the predictability of these movies is this. When it appears that a, a villain has been killed off in the first act, like he's, he was in a building that explodes or he goes over a cliff or a waterfall and it's like, oh, he's dead. He's probably going to make a comeback later in the movie. And, and when he reappears later in the movie, he, he's got a mission, but his mission is never for the good of humanity. It's like, I'm going to rule over everything. I'm going to get my revenge, and people are going to suffer and be subjugated along the way. Like, it's not for good. Now, have you ever stopped to kind of just marvel at this fact? That despite the sorrows that Jesus um, went through, he was rejected by humanity. He was crucified by humanity. He was, he was mocked and, and, and on and on we could go. All at the hands of humanity. When he returns, his mission that he sends us out on is, is purely for the good of humanity. He has no thoughts of revenge. He, he t- says, take this message of love and reconciliation and forgiveness and go into the world and make disciples. Bring people back to God. And so, like, aren't you glad that Jesus has all authority, that, that it, it rests in his hands? Because, like, I, I wouldn't trust myself with that type of power. I've not met another human being that I'm going, yeah, that is a person who should have all authority. But here's the thing. Jesus, he comes back, and, and he, he uses that, again, for our good. He, he, he issues this command to make disciples. He doesn't use this power or authority for vengeance or to make people suffer. He doesn't use his authority in selfish ways whatsoever. So Jesus commands us to take this gospel truth that he died for our sins, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with what scripture says so that people might be forgiven. And he sends the church out because it's important that we've been commissioned by the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, to take the gospel to all nations, people, times, and places so that people might be saved. And so here's what I'm saying, is that the, the courage to go, the audacity to go and make disciples and share your faith with other people is, is based on the rock-solid words and, and reality that Jesus does have all authority. Now, if you have your Bible, just, just turn to like Matthew chapter 28, again, for a second. And if your Bible has uh, headings, what you'll see is above verse 16, it says the Great Commission. It says the Great Commission. And if I were to put my cards on the table, like what I want us to take away from this morning is this, is that it's the Great Commission. It's not the Great Suggestion. Like Jesus doesn't go, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So it would be nice if you'd go out and tell about people about me. If you, if you have time, if you, if you encounter an opportunity, you might want to consider doing this. Like he, he issues a command. He says, therefore, 
go. It's an, it's an imperative. And so the call to evangelize is a command that comes from the one who has all authority. And just something that a lot of us just need to own and realize is that Jesus' commands aren't suggestions. And so I know some of us aren't going to like this, but if you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are obligated to do what Jesus commands you to do. But it goes beyond that. It comes to this, that obedience is Jesus' love language. In John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commands. So if we as the church are going to be faithful to our Lord, if we're going to bring joy to his heart, we must be engaged in bringing the gospel to all people. If, if we know Jesus, we must make him known. And so as we do this, as we enter into people's lives, we need to remember that it's Jesus who is sovereign. It's not us. That, that it's Jesus who rules over everything. It's not the church. And so as the church, we, we go in the authority of Jesus, but we also go in the example of Jesus. We come to our culture like Jesus did. We come filled with uh, the Holy Spirit in prayerful relationship with God, our Father, saturated in the truths of Scripture, humble in our approach, loving in our truth, and serving in our actions. Now, we, we introduced our new mission statement last week uh, to, to know Jesus and to make him known. But at this time, um, over the next uh, six, five weeks, we're going to be introducing um, our, our values. And, and these values aren't really brand new to us, but we took what was kind of, these are the things that guide us. These are the things that make us who we are. And we, they were kind of in eight phrases, but we boiled them down. We condensed them into four. And one of these values is we do all things in love. We do all things in love. And we believe that God changes people's lives as they experience the love of Christ through the body of Christ. And we want to engage with people's needs and questions with truth and love, just as we see Jesus does in Scripture. Now again, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, Paul said, We are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. And we plead on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. And so I hope you would realize that, that this is a privilege to be able to do this. It's not that we have to make Jesus known, that we get to make Jesus known to the world. And since all authority is in Jesus' hands, he's able to provide us with what we need in order to make the mission succeed. And the one who has all authority has guaranteed that this mission will succeed. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, Jesus says, this good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus says, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. So Jesus has promised in his authority that this mission will not fail. 